0: You know, I think it was interesting for me because I've been involved with many of these conversations and especially as, again, a senior leader of a large company, we really have to start focusing on sustainability, purpose, trust. I'm seeing even roles like chief trust officer for large software companies because, you know, I think these concepts are extremely important going forward and, um, and we all have to uh, understand uh, what's happening and have, have viewpoints on how to take our companies and how to take our communities forward in a better ways.
1: Hi everyone and welcome to Inner Wealth, the Forbes Ignite podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Kakal, CEO of Forbes Ignite, and every week I'll be sharing with you my conversations with unique, creative, and innovative people across all different industries. These are people who are intellectually curious explorers, who are also redefining what it means to be successful today. From personal to professional, we cover it all to understand what drives our guests to blaze their own trails and create nimble solutions within the industries that touch each of our lives. Our guest today is Ibrahim Gyokchen, who is the Chief Technology Officer of Schneider Electric, which is one of the world's largest companies you've probably never heard of, supplying the building or manufacturer right next to you with energy management solutions and employing more than 144,000 people worldwide. We're also lucky to have Ibrahim as one of our advisory board members at Forbes Ignite. I was so excited to catch up with him because I always learn something new. And when it comes to digital business transformation, we go several layers deep. It's not just the fact that he's creating change through digital ecosystems, but he also leads with what true inclusiveness should look like. I loved talking with Ibrahim about the authentic organization, sustainability, and applying design thinking to his work in machine learning and AI. I know you're going to love what he has to say. Here's our chat. So, would you say you're the other CTO? You're the you're the chief trust officer of your organization too. I,
0: I wouldn't <laughs> say that uh, per se, but you know, CTO could mean chief transformation officer, <laughs> CTO could mean <laughs> technology. But I mean, the trust is, I think, um, really an important topic. That while I don't need to be chief trust officer, I think we all have to think of how to make our more organizations more trusted by customers, by stakeholders. Mm-hmm. I mean, as you know there's a lot of conversation around we are moving from shareholder value to a stakeholder value right, right. so uh, a public companies stakeholders are not just their shareholders anymore there are many other others and i think it's building trust with your customers your partners your employees as yeah. well as the communities you are a part of is extremely important for a company's success going forward so we all have to understand how uh, to contribute to that singular objective as all of the senior leaders in the company.
1: Absolutely. What I love about moving from a shareholder mindset or a shareholder driven organization to a stakeholder driven organization, that really ties into something that you spoke about, I think, in our last conversation. You're talking about the authentic organization. How does that yeah. play into that? And how are you establishing trust as an authentic organization at Schneider?
0: I think, you know, there are, um, obviously, the authentic organization really means that, um, and in the past decade, there has been multiple versions of this, uh, obviously with climate change, sustainability, everybody is now announcing climate goals, sustainability goals, net carbon goals, and it's increasing, in fact, after the the COVID crisis, because people now see the impact of a a worldwide, uh, whether it's pandemic or a worldwide disruption into livelihood of people and world economies. So I think it's accelerating, and I see lots of great companies coming together in forming these coalitions. Uh, but it has been around for many years, and uh, the the kind of challenge or uh, the gap a little bit in the past was that while companies were always talking about these things, it wasn't uh, very clear how they were living by those principles, and it wasn't clear if they were really acting. Um, you know, are, is it marketing speak or is it really action? And every few companies doing that, but most, I could say, as, uh, as, as a marketing play. And, but I think the shift we are seeing now is, especially with the recent developments, that uh, everybody in the communities, people are looking for real action and real change. And, and they just don't want, uh, you know, everybody was talking about diversity. But if you think of it, diversity is not just about, you know, changing your gender mix or cognitive mix, but it's, it's a lot more, I think, about inclusiveness. Are you including? Are you including diverse opinions into your decision making? You know, it's easy to put people on a board or on a management team, but uh, are you really? Can you really show um, uh, in action that you're including all of these different opinions, all of these different um, viewpoints into your decision making, which then also means that you're eliminating bias as much as possible from your decisions, whether you do in your management team or whether through the artificial intelligence algorithms that you built in your organization, you know, are you actively reducing bias? Are you ethical about some of your decisions? So I think, you know, so now there is real demand from uh, populations, from employees, from different stakeholders that companies actually show in real world that they are acting and they are making progress and uh, potentially, you know, even managing their performance across certain key metrics around, Uh, this, you know, actionable uh, information. So uh, that's what I see. I think the authentic corporation or enterprise is really the one that uh, not only talks, but also uh, acts and also can uh, clearly show their progress on well-established and mutually agreed metrics that, uh, you know, they are measuring their progress. Um, They are uh, really acting for the good of the communities and for a purpose and, and that not only just themselves, but they are really driving this change across their industries and across the world. That's why I talked about these coalitions that I think these companies are taking a leadership role and they know that they cannot solve this problem alone. It's beyond anybody anybody's um, sort of unique capabilities. It, it's a team effort, it's an ecosystem, it's a, part, it's a set of partnerships. And I think uh, these companies coming together, um, driving this change together at scale, is really a great indication of um, them becoming authentic companies and them establishing themselves as authentic companies as well. So, I think that's kind of the shift we are seeing. the um, the, um, the need for action is a lot higher today, and uh, the uh, also the uh, populations or the community asking for change is a lot broader and a lot more diverse. So, it's not just one. You know, it used to be maybe climate activists or uh, you know maybe uh, for the uh, racial inequality it was mostly the african americans but now i i think all sorts of people across the spectrum are driving this together in an inclusive way so that that is creating of course a big shift for companies to respond and be uh, authentic and be trustworthy and uh, you know show their beliefs and viewpoints through action
1: what you said about inclusivity and diversity is really not just it. It really has a lot to do with how you are actually including more people and more inclusivity in the decision-making process. So basically walking the talk and really showing tangible action. And from what I understand, you are mentioning that true inclusivity is if we are including people not just in a decision-making process, but also they have a hand in developing the key metrics that the organization is hitting. They have a hand in voicing the concerns and the the values that they have, so that the met the metrics being met are not purely for shareholder driven
0: exactly.
1: but also specifically for um, mutually agreed upon metrics around sustainability goals. That's huge.
0: Absolutely, it's very important because you know clearly I think we see a lot more that this is really becoming real, and uh, it's not just about you know two percent of centigrades increase in temperature, but the um, the sort of cascading effects of, um, like I am just talking about climate change, for instance, that it's, um, the hurricanes are stronger, you know, the um, the droughts are stronger, uh, environmental um, events are getting a lot stronger, which also means their economic impact is getting a lot bigger. I think that's really the tipping point of of, uh, that requires change and action.
1: Yeah, absolutely. There's so many signs pointing in how much we have to drive action. There is no more waiting. There's no more of seeing what happens, waiting and seeing who takes the first step. Um, As you were talking about a real, truly authentic organization, I was going to ask you uh, what were some great examples you see that are out there, but I'm actually going to amend that question. What are some of the most authentic ecosystems that you find to be the most successful in your opinion?
0: I think uh, clearly um, the the whole uh, net zero, um, zero carbon emissions, and I have a lot of uh, involvement also in that. In my previous role, I was the chief digital officer of one of the largest shipping companies in the world. And shipping and supply chains obviously are one of the largest contributors to pollution. And even after that role, in, in my current role, obviously Schneider Electric is very big in energy efficiency, sustainability, uh, combining you know kind of a digital, electric, decentralized, decarbonized future into a a set of business units that are well integrated and um, really aligned with the market and customer needs. So to me, I think this is a prime example of, um, I mean, unless multiple industries come together, we will never be able to solve um, the emissions problem because it's, again, not a single country's Uh, job to do, nor a single industry's job to do. So all these are dependent on each other. All these have to come together to accomplish the objective. Uh, And unless, uh, also the the fact is, unless that objective is met, all of these companies will suffer from the consequences.
1: I agree. I definitely agree that these participants in this ecosystem all must have a key role to play. It's not just one organization that can do it all. Um, Although we like to think that we can. Um, I think this leads me into I know that you are a, you're very well-versed in design thinking and human-centered design. I would love to know how you've applied that, what you find the most useful about that, and how that's really influenced your work and your decision-making for, for some of these aspects as well.
0: I think really the, the, the core aspect of design thinking is really to um, fully understand, as soon as possible, the needs of the end users, and then create the mechanisms so that you can continuously test those assumptions and incorporate the uh, results of those tests into your next level of thinking. And uh, this, in fact, uh, reduces your risk because the biggest risk is not failing in your during your iterations. The biggest risk is not being able to accomplish your end goal. If you don't create these mechanisms through the design thinking, human-centered design processes, then uh, there's a huge risk that ultimately your end product will not meet the expectations of the users which is wasted money, wasted time, wasted resources. So I think, you know, if you think of this broader context of actually by not taking the smaller risks to your point, you're actually taking a much bigger risk. Uh, It's much easier for companies to uh, make incremental change, right, they they change something incrementally and they are very um, reluctant to do radical change. The situation is the same, maybe radical change is a bit more risky in the short term But not doing it actually exposes you to a much bigger risk. And I think you have to actively uh, train yourself and kind of train your muscles to think, uh, first, you know, what's the consequence of not doing it? Uh, And if it's much bigger than doing it, then I think you should certainly do it in in the short term. And change is a part of what we do. You know, we always have to be willing to learn. We always have to be willing to test different hypotheses, especially in large industrial companies but what you see is that every company is different. Uh, every company has different characteristics, business models, culture, teams. So there is no really blueprint that you take from you know, one company to the other. But what you have is more of a toolbox. You test you know, which one applies the best into this existing scenario. And then the moment you see it not working, you have to be able to quickly pivot and be willing to try something else. And you also have to create a culture where you have a team of people who are willing to do that and understand that, you know, um, uncertainty actually is a good thing. It leads to progress Mm -hmm. and certainty or comfort zone is is not always the right um, uh, place to be. I mean, I I always like the saying that says nothing good grows in the comfort zone. I think think it's very true. You know, it's, you can apply it to many, many, you can apply it to fitness. You can apply it to business. Uh, I think that also plays to that idea that, you know, you have to be able to take some risks because uh, in the future, you're creating a much better position for for your organization or your company.
1: So to take, to bring it back a little bit, if we include people to actually construct and formulate what the key metrics should be, especially around sustainability and inclusivity, how do people know what questions to ask? How do people even know those are the right type of metrics to, to, to more or less focus on if they never had a hypothesis to test in the first place? So it's really enabling that culture of experimentation that you, you just spoke about to even get there. It doesn't happen overnight.
0: So I think to your point, unless you have an initial hypothesis, how, you know, and somebody has to create that hypothesis, then it's much easier to start testing the hypothesis and start finding areas to improve. And, and then it's, it, it creates this flywheel effect that if you're uh, running the right process, certainly, and if you're including the right people, uh, you know, and many, many successful startups obviously start that way, right? In many cases, their initial idea is very different than the end product that makes them successful. The idea doesn't need to be perfect. You just have to start with something and you have to have the right people with the right mindset. And then you have to have the right process to quickly test and uh, converge into the right solution that is ultimately serving the needs of the users. I think there are lots of good concepts that uh, you know I apply to uh, everything I do and um, lots of stuff that we do in, in our company.
1: I understand it didn't happen overnight but to the to the effect that you were able to transform the business and I know you're using design thinking specifically for Machine learning and AI and data analytics—that that's something that's really fascinating to me, and I'd love for you to be able to speak more about that.
0: Sure. I mean, of course, you know the the transformation never ends, and uh, mm-hmm. in Schneider, I could say we are almost getting started. Uh, honestly, I've been in the company for a bit less than two years, but as you said, you know, it's really a lot about the toolbox concept that you know there's certain things that you need to apply, and it really centers a lot around. Um, changing culture, changing mindset. Microsoft really made this concept of growth mindset famous. Uh, And I think it's extremely true that growth mindset versus fixed mindset, it's extremely true for transformations. It's extremely important to really change some of the core processes, whether it's uh, as simple as recruiting, but also as complex and sophisticated as how we fund and finance different initiatives and uh, including procurement for instance i think there's a lot of those uh, work streams that you have to create because uh, to to my kind of earlier example unless all these things come together whichever is not a part of the solution becomes a bottleneck and of course you know with the advances in ai machine learning uh, the importance of data uh, there's so much more uh, to analyze there's um, you know even if you think of human-centered design you don't need to even ask people anymore literally look at their behavior on your digital properties you can analyze in all sorts of ways their behavior how they act what they do and uh, and you know uh, you you can use that really in real-time change um, your products your services and that's kind of i sometimes refer to as uh, the digital feedback loop you know people behave you take action you analyze and then you you, know, you build something different, and then they behave on it again, they act on it, and then you build something different. And it's extremely important. You, know, you have to always try to, in transformational scenarios, you have to always take the emotions out of the picture. Right. Uh, you have to always make sure everybody is focused on the customer. That every decision you make must be based on the need of the customer versus the organization structure or individual leaders' aspirations or opinions. And so, you know, these all come together, I think, especially recently to create this uh, faster cycles of transformation. People used to ask me many times, uh, how long is this transformation going to last? Is it 18 months, is it 24 months? Mm -hmm. And I always tell them, look, transformation is is just a part of your DNA. Mm -hmm. It's again, design thinking at much larger scale. You have to always transform yourself. The market demands it, the customers demand it, whoever thinks, they will run a transformation program and then be done in 18 months is I think, you know, just uh, hitting themselves that they would be successful at the end of it because, I mean, there's there's no end point to transformation.
1: Absolutely. Transformation is essentially part of your organization's DNA. It's no one person actually owns, let's say, like innovation or inclusivity. That's something that should be part of the fabric of your organization. And if it's just... Really siloed to just one person's responsibility, you're really not going to get that far.
0: And the companies tend to do that. Large companies, you know, when they want to um, grow, for instance, they assign a chief growth officer. Or when they want to innovate, they assign a chief innovation. Or they want when they want the inclusiveness, they want chief inclusiveness officer. But it's really, you know, they usually are not successful in that sense because, you know, unless, as you said, all these key concepts are uh, part of everybody's day-to-day job, and if every know uh, unless everybody in the executive committee are measured by those then it's very tough to uh, just have a single leader drive and ultimately you know it all um, boils down to the ceo that the um, i always used to say the ceo is the real chief digital officer in terms of digital transformation because unless the ceo owns it fully and drives it forward then it's very hard to uh, transform the organization
1: transformation starts from the top but also it's enabled and executed, really, it can really start from the bottom up as well. And when you're talking about putting into place this effective flywheel effect, you're really utilizing the stakeholders, the stakeholders' feedback. And it's not just exclusively to to the consumer or for the customers, but also the employees as well, and all the different partners of the organization that each have an influence on the value that the organization creates. Absolutely. All of those stakeholders really feed into that flywheel effect. And I would, lo- I would love to know how you've been able to, to create that flywheel effect in Schneider or any previous organizations as well.
0: I think it's really, you know, it, it boils down to um, practical examples. Because the, uh, I mean, anybody can talk, use the right buzzwords and the right words to describe mm-hmm. concepts. And uh, unless you sh- can show through action and through practical examples that it works, And, uh, I mean, you need the proof points, right? You need, uh, similar to a startup, if if an idea or if a transformation effort is a startup, uh, you first need uh, some kind of a killer app. You need to have a really great idea that is well-established, well-developed. And then you need some uh, anchor customers, uh, referenceable customers. And typically, you know, the transformation efforts, the flywheel effect happens when uh, uh, the transformation is not anymore your responsibility or your story but becomes everybody else's story Uh in in terms of digital for instance i always like to talk of talk about digital heroes Uh, there is a digital team let's say that is digital native they understand deeply technology ai machine learning all that stuff and but the story they tell will be perceived as the narrative of a expert team Uh, people will say okay these guys or these gals are telling the story but is it really applicable to me? Because I'm different than that person. I'm not really a machine learning researcher. You know, the story that, that person tells is not applicable to me. So the real um, flywheel starts to happen when the non-experts, but I call them digital heroes. These non-experts okay. start to benefit from, for instance, digital in this example, and then they become the ambassador. Now this person is very relatable because now, this digital hero actually is, is, is everybody else. That person is not an AI machine learning expert. And uh, that person doesn't use the AI machine learning words. That person translated already those words into a, a more layman's terms, if you will, and uh, kind of that anybody can understand. And the narrative the digital hero can tell is very relatable to people. So that's, that's really the tipping point. How do you create those digital heroes and ambassadors so that you can scale this up. Because otherwise, if we keep it to the, uh, the story, if it stays within the, this core digitally expert team, mm-hmm. then it, it, you can never scale that up. I think yeah. that's, uh, that's always my approach. You know, First, hire that team, train that team uh, with really key technical skills and who are the experts. But then identify those really almost first followers or the pioneers who are willing to take the risk and they become the uh, storytellers. Their story is, uh, is is really what spreads across the organization. But that's how I always try to create a flywheel effect.
1: That's amazing. It's really rooted in the story and the narrative that gets created because if everything stops at the level where you're, sure, you can you can gather information, you can gather as much data as you want, but if you can't glean any anything that you can be able to communicate in a very relatable way, there is only going to be so much adoption for um, yeah. for new for new solutions or for new features, whatever that en- might end up being, mm-hmm. and the 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 benefit from actually um, understanding and getting all that information is, is is it's capped more or less. And I love the term you use, digital heroes. There's a lot of different parallels to that. It's to your point. These are people that are translating things in a more relatable narrative that other people can hang their hat on. Yeah. I wonder what that might look like. Specifically, if we were to take that to why can't digital heroes or any other type of hero archetype translate business objectives into something that is more sustainably focused in a way that I know that you're probably sick of hearing this, but when people always try to de-risk the decision making process by asking, what's our ROI on this? (laughs) What's our return on investment? If we were to do this, I feel like there has to be some type of hero archetype to translate. This is the benefit of doing this. Yeah, I can give you data, Yeah. get those data heroes to contribute to that conversation as well. But who do you find to be really those heroes that are really trying to drive change specifically for the authentic organization?
0: So I think really um, it, it comes down to people have usually diverse experiences who understand that um, there's so much at stake when you come to authentic organization or issues like sustainability, that, um, I mean, they have an inherent understanding and um, almost inherent desire to do this, but maybe they are not equipped with the right teams, or maybe if it comes to technology, maybe they are not technology savvy enough. Um, I think you can really understand that they ask the right questions, to your point, they think the right way, and they just need this additional support and help yeah, and they are very capable, and they have they are the, they have the right leadership style, and they are influential enough in the organization mm-hmm. that uh, they just need to be equipped and supported. Um, you know, over time, of course, you have a sense of those people. You know, like even uh, in the first five minutes, you understand if somebody can be the hero or not. <laughs> you know, in a sense, that from the questions they ask or from the the approach, you know, whoever uh, is open-minded and has a growth mindset certainly has a much better chance of success. Whoever is closed to uh, new ideas or is not willing to take small risks is certainly has a le- less chance of success. But mm-hmm. uh, I, I, there are those people always in every organization. So it's really, right. again, you know, going back to that, it's ultimately the, the benefit is for the customer and for the stakeholders. And then they fully understand that. These heroes fully understand that meeting the needs of the customers and stakeholders is beyond anybody, anybody's singular capabilities. Uh, they have to build a, a coalition Again, as a board member, I can take another hat and say, the board's also play an important role.
1: Yeah, Uh, But it also has
0: to be a, a much bigger mandate than just the management teams.
1: Exactly, exactly. So I'd love to close with this thought. Yeah, to leave us with this, to ponder. When we're thinking about the heroes, the heroes in the organization, yes, there are many different stakeholders, including the board, that can make an effective impact, but it really starts with you it really starts with everybody anybody can be the hero and it really starts with having the growth mindset being creative enough to come up with really different really brave innovative ideas and it's also the ability to to ask the right questions not just asking the right questions but you can also drive the influence to get that first follower so don't be afraid of getting that first follower all you have to really do is take the first step be brave (laughs) and find your people find your people in the organization and really and the more people join yourself and the first follower and the third and the fourth and then suddenly they come to you in droves it all just becomes the beginning of a movement and that's how all movements start so I would love to see um, the progress of um, many of these coalitions especially with net zero that you've mentioned before and the boards that you serve so we'll we'll definitely catch up on that next time but Again, thank you so much. I look forward to the next time.
0: Oh, I really enjoyed the conversation too.
1: That's it for this week's episode of Inner Wealth. I hope you enjoyed our conversation and that you'll join us next week as we continue to explore all the ways success is being redefined in our ever-changing world. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast on your favorite podcast app and follow us on Instagram at Forbes Ignite for more thought-provoking content and opportunities to engage with us. I'm your host, Nicole Cacall. Thanks for joining us.